This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. The votes have been cast, and while some results still need to be finalized, there's no question who Hawaii's next governor will be. Democratic candidate and current Lieutenant Governor Josh Green won the nomination over Republican and former Lieutenant Governor Duke Iona. At last count, Green received more than 100,000 votes over his opponent. Here's a clip from a speech Green gave last night. That was Governor-elect Josh Green. This morning, we talked politics with two longtime political watchers, Barreca and Boylan, uh, Star, Aperture, uh, Star Advertiser columnist and veteran journalist Richard Barreca, and former midweek politics columnist and retired history professor Dan Boylan. We start with Boylan, who found last night's election results pretty predictable, a real yawner. I found them uh, pretty boring. Obviously, the Democrats, as, as always, over one overwhelmingly there was really no contest for for governor or any other race to to speak of it, it, it the republican party is a shallow shallow party now and i think their biggest problem is they've been they've been out of office so long that they have no bench uh they have nobody no stars or seeming stars coming up uh, and that that makes it hard for them to to run a, a new and fresh face for, uh, and talented person for governor or many other offices. Richard, I was going to say, Dan, that one of the reasons the Republicans won is because of the Democrats' DUI record in the state house. I mean, two two of the losses were from incumbent Democrats who had actually been arrested for DUI. At least two. Well, you know, the Republicans yeah. did have a record number of people, I believe, out there running in the races, which, you know, in the past, we we haven't seen that. So so they did, you know, put up a fair number of potential candidates. Yeah, and, you, and yes. that, they deserve credit for that, for having people run, because often they don't have anybody running. And I think it's a, a sign uh, that whether it's a spillover from the national races where where there are there was more and more excitement about the possibility of Republicans winning control of the House and the Senate uh, on the national level uh, and it may have energized Republicans somewhat. I think that Hawaii Republicans biggest problem is Donald Trump. Hawaii voters dislike Trump with a passion and if there is some way that Republicans can say, I love being a conservative, I believe in all these things, but we really don't like Donald Trump. They will win more votes uh, than they are today. Unfortunately, I don't think that's politically possible for them when you give the national political scheme of things. But that's that's the problem, and it's named Donald Trump. Well, I think folks were wondering if Duke Iona could have pulled out a win like uh, we saw with Governor Linda Lingle. And I did go to uh, one of his rallies uh, last week at McKinley High School because I was curious that the Republicans would hold an event at, you know, what people have seen has been kind of democratic territory there at that school. And I, I was wondering if I would see Governor Lingle there. Uh, I didn't. But, you know, he did bring in about, you know, three, four hundred people. I thought Iona ran a very classy, pragmatic race. Uh, he did all the things uh, he was supposed to do uh, to have a good showing. 
but uh, he's a Republican in a one-party state, and that one party is Democrat, not Republican. I think you're absolutely right, Richard. I thought he ran a good race, too, and I th- I think every time, he's, this is his third one for governor, right? And, yeah. and that's, I've, I've thought each time he has run good races. I think he's an impressive candidate, uh, but it's a real, real uphill battle. Uh, even if you're you have good name recognition, which he has by now, but you're a you're a Republican, a state that historically has been Democratic for so long. Well, at that rally, he did bring up uh, the political corruption cases, you know, and those are all facts. Uh, and there's some that think that uh, you know, had he hammered on that a bit stronger during the campaign, he might have made more headway. Well, you can only go negative so far. It worked in uh, trying to divide the uh, Democrats in the primary with the campaign that uh, the unsuccessful challengers attempted. But you've got to be able to say something about your own candidacy to, to really win. And so that's what the Republicans need to do. But I thought, you know, it was switching over to to the winner's column. I thought that Josh Green, in governor-elect, it looked very good last night. It was a calm, composed, and just like the rest of his campaign, it was a no-drama uh, acceptance speech last night. Yeah. He's, um, he's, he's a classy guy, and he's a smart guy. And, and as he pointed out, he's... All about heart, and um, I looked at a column that I wrote about him after an interview over on the Big Island years ago. And somewhere in there, I said, "And, the, and he seems to have heart," and, and he brings that up last night. I think it's very real with him, and I think that's why being a doc and second during the pandemic in a state administration to kind of made things tough for him. I've seen some national publications say that uh, Josh Green may be the only uh, major Democrat uh, running this month who has actually benefited from the pandemic. If there ever was a guy who was able to immediately seize on the problems of the pandemic and come up with understandable and acceptable uh, solutions to it, it was Dr. Josh Green, and that's, uh, I think that was the thing which assured him of his, of his election. As we're talking about winners, you know, uh, we did see the upset there on Maui, uh, where we have uh, Mayor Victorino uh, apologizing for, uh, you know, not doing a better job to, I guess, win the votes of his uh, constituents. What do you think about Maui, Dan? Is, that, is, it, is there some... Is it just too difficult to have three islands as one, under one mayor? No, I think it's very difficult to be a mayor anywhere. We, we tend to talk about governors and we talk about uh, senators and, and, so, and new congresspeople and so forth. But I think the mayor's job may be the toughest day to day of any political job in Hawaii and it's, it, or anywhere else for that matter. It's a very difficult thing because you're dealing with all sorts of things from very, very small to very, very big and, and sometimes just plain difficult jobs. And you have to do it every day, and it changes daily. Governor has got far more, more, more 
staff to do that. It has some distance from a lot of issues. Not a, a mayor. You know, I did see Governor Lingle on stage uh, with uh, with the judge, uh, Judge Bisson. Um, you know, uh, I was surprised that she, you know, didn't make appearance here uh, on Oahu for Iona. Well, she is a former mayor of Maui, so uh, there's a there's a, a nice, strong political connection for her to to be floating floating around there. Um, uh, I'm not sure this is the beginning, though, of a reemergence of Linda Lingle. She'd have a tough time. She was not that much of a national player at all, so I don't know if the national forces in the Republican Party would, would actually welcome her back. I, I think you're right. I, I believe I've seen her say, I'm done with politics, more than one place. She was a successful mayor, and she was a successful governor. In election after election after that, when she tried for other offices, she was unsuccessful. She has a, a good place fitting in now as a, uh, you know, like a spear carrier for the Republican Party and in Hawaii if she wants to use it. We'll see. The Republican Party made a, a minuscule gain uh, in the state house, obviously nothing in the state Senate. So there's not really much there for them to do. And without a power base, how do they even start launching a campaign forward in the, for the next two or so election seasons. You know, talking about mayors, I did see Mayor uh, Rick Blangiardi on the news last night saying that uh, he it plans to run for re-election. <laughs> smart boy. Smart, smart, smart guy. He, he took whatever chances he could to start that campaign up uh, and go. But, you, you know, realistically, what the heck X would, would he say? I mean, it would be just crippling for him to say, well, I think I've got two years left and that, that's enough for me. I'm, I'm out of here. It would, it would make him walking dead, dead man if he actually didn't say he was going to run again. So running again was what he had to say. But he said it very strong and forcefully. Uh, he didn't tack on any kind of uh, serious, serious uh not political, but the structural work that he's going to do. He didn't have any kind of uh, new plan for what's ever going to happen to uh, the city's uh, woe-begotten uh, rail project, for instance. Well, I appreciate the both of you uh, uh, doing uh, a post-election quarterbacking with us. But but thank you so much. I, I appreciate your time this morning. That was Barreca and Boylan, star advertiser columnist Richard Barreca and former Midweek columnist Dan Boylan joining us this post-election morning to talk about last night's winners and losers and a peek at the campaigns ahead. We continue our election coverage looking at races at the state legislature for our reality check. Honolulu Civil Beats Politics and Opinion Editor Chad Blair joins us today. Good morning. 
Good morning and happy day after, Catherine. <laughs> Are you tired? <laughs> I am beat. I am. but uh, And filling in for Kevin Dayton, uh, who uh, wrote our story on the ledge. It's a good story. Uh, he had another obligation. But, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I should caution here, we're, we're all waiting for the so-called third printout, even though printout's kind of an archaic word. It's really the third round of election results, right? We only had two so far, two last night. Um, and we are waiting for a third. Normally, it's out by now. Um, it probably will not vary a whole lot, given that the overwhelming majority of votes uh, were already uh, counted. But it could it could affect a couple of races, and there's a couple of close ones, including in the state legislature. Well, so what's the snapshot? Well, it doesn't look like there's going to be any real change. Uh, there are 16 new House members by Kevin's count, and there are uh, five new Senate members, but probably those majorities will stay comfortably uh, under Democratic control. The Republicans in the House look like they're going to have six seats. They had four, but remember they lost two, right? Val Okimoto mm-hmm. left to run for council successfully. Bob McDermott left to run for U.S. Senate unsuccessfully. Still, that is a, a bit of an increase. Over in the Senate, Kurt Favela is the lone Republican senator. Uh, but there is some question as to how that Breton Awa uh, Gil Riviere race up on the North Shore here on Oahu is going to turn out. It, it was pretty close. Uh, and and uh, Riviere, uh, the Democrat incumbent. So we'll wait and see if that happens. But regardless, um, it's not going to really at all impact the majority solidly under Democratic control once again. Well, you know, uh, I think as we mentioned at the top of the show, you know, with the uh, two uh, lawmakers that had trouble with the uh, uh, DUIs, driving under the influence mm. um yeah that uh yeah everyone everyone's talking about this mm-hmm. it's, it's overshadowing all the the party affiliations matt lepresti and sharon har are both democrat incumbents um and th- they were involved in these uh, alleged drunken driving incidents and neither of them uh has uh, is going to uh, pay any penalty for that at least legally but in terms of politically they are both in trouble lepresti is trailing David Alcos, the Republican, by a pretty significant margin. It's closer with Sharon Har, who's behind Diamond Garcia. I think Diamond Garcia actually works for Gene Ward at the, at the State House. Uh, so we'll see. Those are two races, particularly the Har race, Har-Garcia, that we might see some new numbers. But in all likelihood, those two people, um, again, with the caveat that we haven't seen the final numbers, uh, appear to be uh, rejected, booted from from their districts. By the way, I should note where Republicans generally did well is in that part of the state, uh, specifically the western part of Oahu, the west side, right? Mm-hmm. Eva, Eva Beach, other areas. Uh, you saw Stacey Lynn Eli, another Democrat incumbent, uh, losing to Kanani Souza, a Republican. So there's another development out west where Republicans have had some success. Yeah, um, and over in Minilani where we saw, you know, two uh, uh well-known names out there uh, go at it. You know, Lauren Cheap, Matsumoto, and uh, former uh, Representative Marilyn Lee. Yeah, you wonder if, if, if Marilyn Lee is going to uh, hang it up after this. She's lost a couple of elections now. Uh, it was Beth Fukumoto before that, and, and there's some changes. We also see that Corey Rosenley, the, the former head of the teachers' union here, Losing to Elijah, and I don't know how to pronounce it. It's either Pyrick or Pyrick. I apologize. Uh, again, a Republican. Again, you know, out there on, in West Oahu. We should say this, though. The GOP really, they did field a lot of candidates for the legislature, but uh, 
in retrospect, they, you know, once the, the final count is, is done here, not that many gains. Um, and, of course, uh, you had Richard and, and Dan on earlier talking about the dominance of the party. But if you're Lynn Finnegan, you got to feel pretty good. The chair of the, mm-hmm. the local Republican Party has to be able to say, you know, you got to start somewhere. And the state House of Representatives is a good place to start to pick up party gains. It always amazes me, though, you know, when you have races where you've got folks with a, a pretty solid name re- recognition and you go to bed thinking, oh, OK, they're ahead. And then you wake <laughs> up the next morning and guess what? It flip flopped. You know, one example was uh, Gary Gill uh, during the primary. Oh, yeah. You know? Lost to yeah to a Democrat. Um, and uh, by the way, there is a, a fairly new law as long as we're talking about this, the 100-vote automatic recount, and that might trigger some recounts. But you mentioned familiar names. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Carol Fukunaga, she's back in the Senate after being on the city council. Brendan Elefante, moving from the the Senate Senate. council. Yeah, and then Angus McKelvey from Maui, moving from the House to take Roz Baker's old seat. So uh, Democrats once again in charge, um, but with a little bit of a gain on the part of Republicans. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll see about that third printout. (laughs) But thanks so much, Chad. (laughs) Sure, Catherine. All right. Take care. That was Editor Chad Blair with today's Reality Check. Uh, To read Kevin Dayton's story, visit civilbeat.org. Hawaii voter turnout was lower than anticipated, according to our partners at uh, Civil Beat. Only 41% of all ballots were cast yesterday, as opposed to the 70% participation rate in the 2020 general election. Hawaii's voting rate remains one of the lowest in the U.S., yet those who cast their vote vocalized a firm belief in their participation within the political process. Uh, Here's a few we had a chance to talk to. Oh, I'm from Kanae. It's a critical year. There's a lot of stuff going on in uh, politics and uh, U.S. government, so it's critical that we uh, have our influence in the election. Connie Clayton from Kaimuki. I just feel like we need to have some new things happening in our country, and it's kind of scary what's going on with our, you know, the everything that's as far as your costs and everything, cost of living, is just keeps going up. See, I'm originally from Bosnia and Herzegovina. I've lived in Hawaii for about three years. I have voted each election that I've been here. Kevin from Kahalo area. It's your right to vote. It's your job. I'm Miranda McCollum, and I live here, but I'm from California. I've always voted. I've never missed an election since I turned 18. Um, I mean, obviously, women's rights are <laughs> number one priority. Well, I'm doing a little video to share with people online how easy it is, so. (laughs) I'm Emily. I live in downtown Honolulu. I vote every year. I'm a a regular voter, and I just think it's very important to stay active in all elections. Voices from our residents out there. What are your thoughts on yesterday's election? Do you think your candidate will make an impact, or do you think changes need to be made before you vote again? We'd like to hear what you have to say. Leave us a message on our talkback line, 808-792-8217, or email us uh, talk at, uh, talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org.
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the new Hawaii Island Community Health Center, providing comprehensive health care open to all. CommunityHealthCenter.org Are you interested in working in radio? HPR has part-time openings in its operations department. You'll be part of the dedicated team that puts HPR's programs on the air and keeps it humming 24-7. Responsibilities include preparing shows for air, working in our on-air control rooms, and ensuring compliance with broadcast standards. If this is music to your ears, visit hawaiipublicradio.org jobs to learn more. Costs are still going up, so farmers kind of have to pass them along. We like what we do, but we can't just, we're a pretty tight little operation. We don't have room to, to lose a bunch of money. I'm Kai Rizdal, Agflation on the program. That is next time on Marketplace. Beginning this evening at 6, following All Things Considered. This week, leading up to Veterans Day, we bring you a story from across two continents. It's a story of gratitude from another time and place and a heartfelt gesture from Bruyere, France. Guillaume Maman is the Honorary French Council General here in the islands. He says he was pleasantly surprised last month to learn of a song called Aloha that residents of a French retirement home, along with elementary school students from a town there, created for all of us. It was a way to thank the Hawaii soldiers of the highly decorated 442nd for their heroic efforts to liberate them during World War II. They asked that he share the story and the music with us here in Hawaii. In, uh, in uh, 1944, October 18 and 1944, the 1442 from uh, Hawaii uh, came and rescued that small little village uh, in France called Bruyere. And the people of Bruyere uh, are so grateful about uh, their liberation. So even um, 77 years later, uh, they continue to show their gratitude and they made a video that was uh, beautiful that I received from one of uh, the, the person that is part of that village. And what I loved about the video is, uh, so it's a song to continue to thank the veterans uh, of what they did. And the song is their message of aloha back to the, uh, to the um, 10442. And and what I love about it is because it came from uh, people from uh, four generations. You have all the people that were alive in 1944. They were part of the uh, the people that were rescued, but uh, their children, their great great uh, their grandchildren, and their great grandchildren are part of these videos. So if you hear the video, you hear uh, the, the, the first singer is an older lady and then it goes, uh, you know, younger and younger and uh, it involves all the people of the village. And it's so beautiful because we want to make sure that the legacy of the 10442 continues for many generations. It's not just to thank them for one generation, but continues uh, uh, that, that, that gratitude that those people have, that the people of France have for the entire uh, U.S. Army, but specifically here in in Bruyere, there in Bruyere, they they love to uh, to to continue to honor the hundred four fourteen. Yeah, because you have to keep the stories alive. Exactly, 
Exactly. Otherwise, if it disappears, we'll never know what happened. And the sacrifice that the 1442 did is is, is tremendous. And we see how many casualties they had. Uh, the 100 Battalion was called the Purple Heart Battalion uh, because of the number of deaths and wounded that they had uh, during uh, the campaign in Italy and in France. Well, describe your reaction when you heard the song. I, I have to say it was very emotional. And uh, I had tears in my eyes because it was, um, uh, once again, it's the fact that there were so many people involved. Those are small villages. Bruyere is actually a sister city with Honolulu, but Bruyere only has 3,000 people. So it's really a small little village. It had a tremendous significance in terms of war strategy. And I, I can talk about it if you want, but but it was surrounded by four hills uh, that uh, that the German had a very strong position, and that's the reason why it was a turning point in the war uh, in uh, in the Second World War. Uh, but it's actually a very small village. Uh, but uh, the mayor of uh, Honolulu in 1961, it was uh, Mayor Neil Blaisdell, decided to go to Bruyere and make uh, Bruyere a sister city with Honolulu. Uh, so there were tremendous significance. So. So uh, uh, when I, I heard that uh, that the video, the fact that they continue uh, to honor uh, the 10442 and it hasn't stopped, and they continue to send their message of aloha, and that's what the song is all about: is uh, once again to, to tell them what what they think aloha means and how they can give it back. Okay, well let's uh, share some of that uh, song with our listeners. So translate for us. Yes, yes, it's beautiful. So they say those those little soldiers came and rescue us, and we want to make sure that we continue to thank them. And um, they say that l'histoire est gravée dans nos terres means the, the, their their story or or history is um, engraved uh, in our ground, and we want to make sure that we continue to perpetuate uh, this history. So that's uh, s some of the lyrics uh, they're talking about, and uh, and they talk about uh, their collier de fleurs means their lays that they want to give back. Uh, to those people, and they wish um, they can have the, the, the soldiers of the 144 to come back so they can give them their lays, their version of a lay. Uh, so their, their flower lay. Exactly, <laughs> flower yeah. lay, exactly. And so, you know, this was uh, put together by members of this town. Uh, it involved the a retirement community. And, and the young children there. Exactly, and that's what I love about it because it involved the entire community from, um, I, I saw some of the people were over 90, uh, 90 years old. Uh, and then we see in the video some uh, five-year-old uh, children uh, singing. So it really involved the entire community. There's a gentleman after that who comes with his guitar and sings in English uh, also to bring, um, you know, that, that uh, sister city relationship 
but that's what is it's it's very emotional and uh, and uh, I, I love listening to that song and yeah, like I said I, I don't tear easily but I, the tears in my eyes when I heard that yeah. because uh, to continue this gratitude you know it's so important I, I always say that you know my mother was alive in 1944 so when the uh, the, the American army came and so um, it means a lot to her but she told us the story so it means a lot to me as well and I tell the story to my children it means a lot to them as well so it's it's important that we continue to show um, our love for uh, our rescuers and I always say that this is an important thing that we uh, we continue saying and so specifically in that uh, region of, uh, of France and we should mention that you did go back to that town for a big anniversary. Yes, yes, thank you. So in uh, 2019, that was the 75th anniversary of uh, the Battle of Bruyere and Bifontaine. So on October 18 and 19, 2019, we uh, went to uh, Bruyere. We were invited by the mayor, Mayor Yves Bonjean, that uh, was kind enough to invite us. Uh, mayor Caldwell came um, as well as a delegation from the city. Um, um, U.S. Representative Case came as well. Uh, and we had a pretty big delegation of people from Hawaii, sons and daughters of the 10442 came as well. So we had a, it was a big ceremony. There were hundreds of people coming. We had a um, um, someone who came and uh, danced for us. So there was a uh, hula presentation uh, in the uh, area where the 10442 fought uh, in that uh, those fields, in those mountains. So uh, once again, there was a, a, a powerful moment that we had. And that's when when we had people meeting uh, other people, I want to talk about the, the, the lost uh, battalion, the rescue of the lost battalion. There was a, a horrible battle. Uh, a Texas battalion was uh, stuck basically on the hills, and there were, at the time, uh, 275, uh, but they rescued about 215, and they sent the 10442 uh, that was tired. They already had many, many battles, and there was actually more casualties uh, uh, to save 115 of those Texas um, um, soldiers. Uh, they, either, they had 800 casualties, so it means they were um, um, killed in action, missing in action and wounded in action. So, so there were more people that, that perished and uh, were wounded than they actually rescued. So when those two families met uh, during that anniversary 75 years ago, um, I have a good friend of mine, Brian Kitashima, his father uh, fought in, uh, in that battle and he came with his two sisters and they met uh, the children of the people that they rescued. So that was a powerful and emotional moment. Everybody was hugging and those people that uh, they rescued from Texas said, you know, we wouldn't be alive if your father didn't have the bravery to come and rescue uh, our father. So it's just so important to remember the sacrifices, to think about our allies and what those uh, brave young men did. Incredible time. And especially when you know, uh, so the 10442 was uh, pretty much entirely uh, uh, composed of uh, Nisei veterans, second generation uh, Japanese, uh, Nisei soldiers, sorry, second generation uh, Japanese soldiers. Uh, their parents, their uncles and uh, aunties were in internment camps and they volunteered to 
to fight in the, you know, for the U.S. Army. They all volunteered, uh, were sent to France, a place they most of them have never been before, have never heard before, and they show so much bravery. The 10442 is the most decorated unit in the history of American warfare for its size and length of service. So they they showed more loyalty and devotion to uh, to America uh, than anybody else. And it was important when I, I talked to them. Um, first of all, they don't like to talk too much about the war, and I never, mm, uh, out of respect, I never um, you know asked too, too many questions. But when they open up and they talk to us about it, they said it was so important to them. Their family themselves was telling them, um, you know, don't dishonor the family, death before dishonor. So fight uh, as a brave man, and and uh, and they did. They really did, and yeah. uh, so that's why it's it's important to us. Well, we thank you for sharing the story, so we can bring uh, kind of that spirit of that town and share it across the ocean yes. uh, here in it, the Pacific. And that's exactly what the the, the people from uh, from this village that sent me the video wanted to make sure that I, I distribute it to all the people here in uh, in Hawaii, uh, so they can share their their love for Hawaii. Well, mahalo and merci. <laughs> merci. <laughs> That was Honorary French Council General Guillaume Maman sharing the story of a song composed by the residents of Bruyere, which has a sister city relationship with Honolulu. Check out the links to the video of the song entitled Aloha. It was performed by residents of that village. It is charming. Tant de villes et tant d'âmes brisées et surtout tant d'hommes emportés. Mais tout ce malheur, à quel prix Si ce n'est le souvenir d'un grand This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Our Hawaiian goose is heading into its breeding season, so officials are asking motorists to take special care when driving through known breeding grounds, grounds like Volcanoes National Park. From Hawaii Island, here's University of Hawaii at Hilo Professor Patrick Hart with your Manu Minute. Most of us know the nene, or Hawaiian goose, which is the state bird of Hawaii and found here and nowhere else. Descended from the Canada goose, nene are strong flyers but are closely related to a long extinct giant flightless goose from Hawaii Island that was about four times their size. Nene are mostly brown but with black faces and a dark furrow pattern on their long white necks. Their dark feet are only partially webbed, which allows them to swim as well as walk more easily on rugged lava flows. Like most native Hawaiian birds, they were once abundant, but declined sharply by the 1800s due to hunting pressure, habitat loss, and especially by predation from introduced dogs, cats, and mongoose. By the 1950s, their population had declined to only 30 birds. Captive breeding programs in both Hawaii and England may have barely saved these birds from extinction, and continued efforts among state and federal agencies have shown growing success as their population has been steadily rising. Now, with more than 2,000 birds across the state, Nene have been downlisted from endangered to threatened under the Endangered Species Act, but they're still considered the rarest goose in the world. Even so, they're one of the few success stories of a native Hawaiian bird rebounding from the brink of extinction. You can now occasionally hear the honking calls of the nene on most main Hawaiian islands, especially if you're near ponds or grassy fields. 
Nene are mentioned in the Kumulipo as being guardian spirits of the land, and they are seen symbolically as a joining force between the mountains and the coasts, probably due to their Malka to Makai movements in search of fresh grasses, herbs, and fruits. They have an unusually long breeding season that may last from fall through winter, the opposite of when most other Hawaiian birds choose to breed. Like other Hawaiian birds, though, Nene may be named from one of the many sounds they make. In this case, the low, murmuring call that sounds like its name. For Hawaii Public Radio, this is Patrick Hart from the UH Hilo Department of Biology. Support for Manu Minute comes from Evergreen by Deborah, providing tile, mosaic murals, and planters for more than 25 years. At evergreenbydebra.com, learn more about hydroflow permeable pavers designed to absorb rainwater and reduce runoff. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Lindsay Andriotti, founder of The Kindness Club. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about kindness, the positive virus we all want to catch. Be there. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, offering a variety of classes and creative experiences for youth and adults at its art school. Registration for winter session opens November 16th. More at honolulumuseum.org. actress Hedy Lamar was born in Vienna on this day, November 9th, back in 1914. While many know her as the siren on the big screen, you may not know her as a brilliant scientific mind, an inventor whose research is used in our technology-filled life. Performing artist Heather Massey presents the story of both Lamar's brains and beauty. Massey is performing on stage at the Oahu Fringe Festival this weekend to mark Inventors Day. She dropped by our studios to talk about Lamar's profound contribution to science. What grabbed me <laughs> is that Hedy Lamar was a genius. And she was strikingly beautiful. She was known as the most beautiful woman in the world. So how often, when people think of the most beautiful woman in the world, do they think genius? Well, in this case, it's very apt. Hedy Lamarr was also an inventor. And during World War II, she wanted to support her new country and the Allied forces. And she had some knowledge of munitions. And she created technology for torpedoes. It's for their guidance systems to make the operations of the guidance unjammable. And we now use that technology in cell phones, Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth. So this most beautiful woman in the world from the era of World War II is so very relevant to all of our lives today. As you started to create this play to perform on stage, how deep did you immerse yourself you know, in her life? As deep as I could go. <laughs> so I, I researched about the events in her life, the varying versions of all the events in her life, and tried to, to find as many pieces of her true self as I could. 
and wove those into a story. I was especially intrigued by any footage of her as herself, where she wasn't portraying a character. And those very valuable to me. And I also imbued the play with her sense of humor. She was very witty. And that's, that's a lot of fun in the play because even though I play over 30 characters, the most important relationship is Hetty's relationship with the audience. Each audience makes each performance very special, and it's that connection that's built between Hetty and the audience through, through the course of the, of the play. Talk about the 30 characters and, <laughs> and how you have put that all together. Yes, so anytime that I could pull in another character to have a scene in real time with Hetty to tell the story, I did that. So her father, her mother, three of her six husbands, Louis B. Mayer, her co-stars, Jimmy Stewart and uh, Clark Gable, people like that, to make it uh, more fun uh, for the audience watching and more fun for me as a performer. I've been doing this show now for six years. Tomorrow will be my sixth year anniversary of performing this play. You know, as we, I guess, pause to think about you know, her contribution to science. You know, we've got International Inventors Day that we that we celebrate, you know. Um, I don't know what comes to mind. It's also going to be Veterans Day this week. Yeah, a lot of things come to mind. This is a very um, important week for this story. We have, of course, Veterans Day on Friday. Very important to World War II, especially in the place in the world where we are. And also her birthday, November 9th. Uh, She was born in 1914. It has been uh, for some years celebrated as um, Inventors Day in in her native Austria and also Germany and Switzerland. And many people are now referring to it as International Inventors Day, which is very important that a woman is being recognized in the forefront for this day. National Inventors Day, of course, is Thomas Edison's birthday, which is wonderful and apt. It just reinforces the stereotype that inventors are men and white men at that. So having different faces on the word inventor is part of my mission. My mission is to inspire audiences, especially to encourage young women in science and technology and to establish Hedy Lamar as a role model for intelligence, ingenuity, and invention. She's a, a role model that I didn't know I should have had when I was younger. I was in the sciences. I wanted to be an astronaut. And I started university in astrophysics and ended up with a theater arts degree. So now Hetty's story is very important to me because I get to marry my love of science with my love of arts in her love of science and arts. Yes. And then you, you mentioned that you've taken this play to different countries mm-hmm. and that the audience gives it a different feel. Share with us a story about where maybe something like that stands out in your in your mind. Yeah, so I've been to 12 countries over the last six years. And the, the wonderful thing about the story is it speaks to all ages. I say about 12 and up because young people and all of us are using wireless technology and also people who are older may have lived through these events and may have seen her films in their uh, in their original releases so it's it's a story that speaks to people who 
know who Hetty was and people who don't. Hetty and the audience go on a journey together in this story. And a specific one, well, I was working as a Fulbright specialist on a tour with a show in South Africa. I've done it quite a bit there. There are a lot of science centers that I perform for, and I broke my foot. So I wasn't able to do the performance for a short time, and I went in... I got to go into primary schools, and I did presentations on Hetty Wilson scenes from the show, and it was one of the best days of my life. These children in rural KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa, and they just spoke to my heart. They also sang some songs for me. They had their cultural competition the next week, because I really talked to them about their passions and all the things they love to do, and to find a way to do those things in their lives, and they got very excited. They got very excited about uh, sharing with me the things that they had to share. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds really special. I mean, to be able to Mm -hmm spark maybe some, you know, innovation in these young minds and help guide them. Like you said, mm-hmm. you didn't know you should have had her as a role model. Exactly. Exactly. I had, I did have Sally Ride as a role model, and I'm working on a trilogy of shows celebrating women in science, and Sally is going to be my next subject, America's First Woman in Space, and I actually get to spend some time with her family next week. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's really I'm very exciting. I'm yeah. very excited about that. Well, as you were doing your research for Hetty, I don't know, was there anything else that surprised you in her life that maybe you didn't realize? Well, that she she liked to work with people, especially people with of intellect. And she brought on a co-inventor on the development of this technology. Someone very unexpected, like herself. She's a Hollywood film star. Who would expect (laughs) that she does this? She brought on George Antile, who was an avant-garde music composer, who was also an amateur expert in endocrinology, wrote a detective novel, and had been a, a government inspector of U.S. munitions. And he also spoke German. So that was a plus for her. So they worked together, and it was the concept of a paper roll in a player piano, a self-playing piano. That's the concept that helped them implement her idea of instead of using one radio frequency for guidance to hop frequencies. She called it Frequenzpunktverfahren, which is frequency hopping and now known as spread spectrum technology. So it's really surprising, and I think that's why the Navy didn't use this patent that they gave to the U.S. Navy. They didn't use it right away, partly because film star and composer, what do they know? Well, they knew quite a lot. Well, okay, so share with our listeners uh, where they can see this uh, production. (gasps) Right, where they can see this production. So it is going to be with the Oahu Fringe Festival. And that runs November 10th, 11th, and 12th, this Thursday, Friday, Saturday. My shows are on a Friday evening at 6 p.m. and Saturday evening at 5.30 p.m. at Next Door, uh, which is on Hotel Street in Chinatown. And uh, you can get information about that at oahufringe.com, or my website is heathermassey.com. Heather, M-A-S-S-I-E dot com. So that's how people can come. Tickets are quite affordable. They're $10. And there's not only my show, but there are a lot of other wonderful um, local artists doing performances in um, theater, in music, magic, and burlesque. 
Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All, right. All in Chinatown. Okay, so uh, something for everybody. Yes. <laughs> that was Manhattan-based producer, writer, and performer Heather Massey, who is in town to perform at the Oahu Fringe Festival this weekend. Her play is titled Hetty, the Life and Inventions of Hetty Lamar. The shows take place this weekend, November 11th and 12th, at Next Door in Chinatown. For links, check out our website, hawaiipublicradio.org, later today. have to go now. But up tomorrow, we plan to hear from Governor David Ige now that voters have chosen his successor. Got an election story you'd like to share with us? Leave your feedback on our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR. Email works too. Talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Want to listen back to something you heard? Find our archive shows online. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation.
The whole thing? Just that line? Okay. And Is that okay? At last count, Green received more than 100,000 votes over his opponent. Here's a clip from the victory speech Green gave last night. So now, friends, let me share briefly what I believe. Friends, mahalo and aloha. Okay, well, I don't have a script, so give me the script. I didn't know what she meant by that. Okay. So now, friends, let me share briefly what I believe. Friends, mahalo and aloha. A real yawner.